Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, The Evolution of the Irish from Biblical Times. This is episode number 43, and it's about the Dublin Arms Trial in 1970, and later, the collapse of the Sunningdale Agreement. I hope you like this, and that you will share with others on social media. Massacres at Derry had serious repercussions throughout all of Ireland and also in Britain for years afterwards. In the Republic of Ireland, the Taoiseach, Jack Lynch, was faced with the unenviable task of removing two of his most able ministers from their cabinet posts when he was informed that rumours of collusion between them and members of the Provisional IRA were floating around the city of Dublin. The story went even further when he was told of elaborate plans to import large shipments of guns and ammunition and hand them over to the nationalists in Derry and Belfast to halt the rampaging of the British army and loyalist mobs. Nationalist families were being forced from their homes and refugees streamed over the border into the Republic. The Dublin government established a cabinet subcommittee to organise emergency assistance and relief. Charles Hawhey, then Minister for Finance, and Neil Blaney, Minister for Agriculture and Fisheries, who was from the Donegal North East constituency, bordering Northern Ireland, were members of the subcommittee, along with Podrick Faulkner and Joseph Brennan. Jack Lynch took little interest in the work of the subcommittee, and after an initial meeting, Faulkner and Brennan seemed to have left their senior colleagues, Hawhey and Blaney, to their own devices. A government fund of £100,000 was set up to provide relief to civilians forced out of their homes by the Troubles, and Hawhey was given sole authority over this money. Charles Hawhey and Neil Blaney disapproved of the cautious policies of the Taoiseach Jack Lynch on Northern Ireland and favoured a more robust approach. In August 1969, after Blaney had proposed military intervention in Northern Ireland, Jack Lynch had asked Irish Army intelligence to draft proposals for limited military intervention in Northern Ireland to protect nationalist areas from Ulster loyalist mobs. Known as Exercise Armageddon, but it was seen to be unworkable and was not adopted by the cabinet. The nationalist areas were given a form of protection later in August by British forces in Operation Banner, and Lynch saw this as an effective short-term measure. On the 30th of October 1968, Lynch had met with Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom in London, and had called on Britain to take steps to end the partition of Ireland. Neil Blaney, then Minister for Agriculture, was an outspoken critic of Irish government policy on Northern Ireland. In a speech in 1969 he said, The Fianna Fáil party has never taken a decision to rule out the use of force if the situation in the six counties so demanded. Charles Hawhey had not publicly opposed Lynch's policy, but was concerned about being outflanked by his Fianna Fáil leadership rival. 
In October 1969, a meeting of the Northern Citizens' Defence Committees, which had been set up to defend nationalist areas from Unionist attack, and which included IRA officers, was held in Baileyborough, County Cavan, with Irish Army Intelligence Officer Captain James Kelly in attendance. Captain Kelly promised the Northern Citizens' Defence Committee £50,000 that would be made available to buy weapons for defence of nationalist areas against loyalist attack. After the Baileyborough meeting, James Kelly reported directly to Neil Blaney, who in turn brought him to Charles Hawhey's house to give an account of the meeting. Kelly suggested that the government should support the IRA, acknowledging this would mean accepting the possibility of armed action of some sort as the ultimate solution. Blaney allegedly made plans with Captain Kelly to import weapons from continental Europe. Hawhey provided the money for the purchase from his civilian relief fund and also made a failed attempt to arrange customs clearance for the shipment. Hawhey met with IRA Chief of Staff Cahill Goulding, Garda Special Branch, informed the Minister for Justice, Michal Moran of this meeting and he reported it to the Cabinet. But Hawhey dismissed it as a chance encounter. In November 1969, a Belfast Republican leader, incidentally named John Kelly, and Hawhey's brother Jock, travelled to London to purchase arms. But Kelly became suspicious that their plot had been discovered and they returned to Ireland. By late April 1970, the Garda Síochána Special Branch were aware of the plot and had informed the Taoiseach Jack Lynch. However, Lynch took no action until the leader of the opposition, Liam Cosgrove, was also informed by the Special Branch of the gun-running scheme and pressed the Taoiseach to take action. Charles Hawhey and Neil Blaney were sacked by Lynch on the 6th of May 1970 when they refused to resign. Kevin Boland, the Minister for Social Welfare, resigned from the government in protest at the sackings as he was adamant, as were the accused, that the Taoiseach Jack Lynch and most of the Cabinet, in particular Jim Gibbons, then Minister for Defence, all knew about the plan to import arms. The Minister for Justice, Michal Moran, who was in hospital at the time, was asked to resign on the 4th of May 1970, but he later claimed that he had in fact informed Lynch of the individuals involved. On the 28th of May 1970, Charles Ahi and Neil Blaney went to trial in Dublin, together with Irish Intelligence Officer Captain James Kelly, John Kelly, and Belgian businessman Albert Lux, who had allegedly agreed to use his contacts to acquire the weapons. All charges against Blaney were dropped in the district court on the 2nd of July 1970, and as a result he was not tried before the main trial got underway under Justice Andreas O'Quiv. The trial collapsed a week later after allegations of bias. Following a second trial, the other four defendants were cleared on the 24th of October 1970. At the trial, there was a direct contradiction of evidence regarding the sanctioning of the imports between Hawhey and the chief prosecutorial witness, Jim Gibbons, Minister for Defence at the time of the attempted imports. Hawhey admitted arranging customs clearance for the shipment, 
but claimed in his defense that he did not know it consisted of weapons. This directly contradicted the evidence of Gibbons and Peter Berry that Hahi was fully aware of all the details of the conspiracy. It also contradicted the testimony of his co-defendants, who admitted that they had tried to import weapons, but maintained that the shipment had been legally authorized by the government. During the trial, the judge remarked that either Hahi or Gibbons had to be committing perjury. The trial led to bitter divisions in Fianna Fáil between supporters of the sacked ministers Hahi and Blaney and supporters of Lynch. The same divisions affected government policy on Northern Ireland. Although the events led to Hahi being demoted to the backbenches, he remained a member of Fianna Fáil, while Boland was expelled in 1970 and Blaney in 1971. Blaney went on to found his own party, Independent Fianna Fáil, which rejoined the main party, Fianna Fáil, in 2006, 11 years after Blaney's death. Hawhey later returned to ministerial office and succeeded Lynch as party leader in 1979. When Hawhey became Taoiseach, Jim Gibbons was dropped from his ministerial office. As state papers relating to the period were released after 1995, further light was shed on the events, questioning the outcome. Much remains unknown about the truthfulness of the various personalities involved, and what exactly each knew, and when they came to know it. The diaries of Peter Berry, Secretary of the Department of Justice, published in McGill magazine, claimed that Lynch had not been forthright publicly. Documents released through the Freedom of Information Act 30 years later showed that the state had altered statements by Colonel Heffron to suppress the fact that he and Captain Kelly had kept Jim Gibbons informed. This caused the then Taoiseach, Bertie Ahern, to publicly state that Captain Kelly had done nothing wrong. According to Mark Hennessy in the Irish Times on the 3rd of May 2001, the late Minister for Defence, Mr Jim Gibbons, is the victim of a campaign of character assassination through renewed allegations that he lied to the arms trial. His son declared last night, during a special Senate debate on Fine Gael demands for a wide-ranging inquiry, his son, Senator Jim Gibbons Jr., said his family had been deeply hurt by the controversy. Supporting calls for a full inquiry, Mr Gibbons Jr. said, I have no doubt in my mind that any inquiry will vindicate my total belief that my father did not perjure himself in 1970. The Republic of Ireland was going through a lot of economic turmoil and change during the 1970s. In 1968, Finance Minister Charles Hawhey had announced in his budget speech that Ireland was going decimal. The changeover was set for the 15th of February 1971. It was not without its costs, as equipment such as cash registers, adding machines and the like ended up on the scrap heap. The National Bus and Train Company, CIE or Chorus Umper Erin, reckoned that the switch cost it £120,000, a lot of money, in 1971. Then, following a 10-year application, Ireland finally joined the EEC on the 1st of January 1973, 
with 83% of the population voting in favour of entry in a referendum dated the 10th of May 1973. Ireland's chief negotiator was the Foreign Minister and later President Paddy Hillary. While some commentators derided his softly, softly approach and complained that he had allowed himself to become Brusselized, the general opinion was that he had done a good job. He then became Ireland's first European Commissioner. Immediately after entry, discussions quickly focused on the common agricultural policy and the benefits which would and did accrue to Ireland. Ireland was just settling into EEC membership when the Yom Kippur or Ramadan war broke out between Israel and the Arab states in October 1973. The Arabs lost and retaliated by quadrupling the price of oil. This triggered a global recession and an inflation explosion. Prophets of doom and gloom had a field day, a 1930s-style depression and a collapse of the global banking system were being predicted in some quarters. On the domestic front, some relief was provided by Marathon's announcement that it had found natural gas off Kinsale, and offshore oil exploration started for the first time. A BP-led consortium, which also included the Irish company Iron Energy, was formed to search for the elusive Irish oil in the Porcupine Bank. Inflation had already been rising through the late 1960s and into the early 1970s. In 1969, it reached 7.4%, and by 1973, it had climbed into double digits and reached 11.4%. Worse was still to come. Fueled by the oil price hikes, it reached 17% the following year, and then 20.9% in 1975. Fortunately, we stepped back from the brink of hyperinflation, with inflation falling to 7.6% in 1978. Then, fueled by the Jack Lynch, Martin O'Donoghue public spending binge of 1977-79, it took off again peaking at 20.4% in 1981, with house prices doubling between 1977 and 1979. Fianna Fáil swept back into power in June 1977 with a large 20-seat majority and an expansionist economic programme, which saw the abolition of car tax and rates on private dwellings. Between 1978 and 1980, the exchequer borrowing requirement which stood at 11% in 1976 and 10% in 1977, averaged 14%. The boom quickly turned to bust and inflation accelerated. In December 1979, Taoiseach Jack Lynch was dismissed by his own party and Martin O'Donoghue, the Minister for Economic Planning and Development, and the man viewed as being largely responsible for the expansionist policy, was dropped from the Cabinet by the new Taoiseach, Charles Haughey. Since 1826, the Irish pound had been tied to sterling. A lot had happened since then, including independence and EEC membership, but the link with sterling had survived intact. However, in 1979, the European monetary system came into operation and the Republic of Ireland joined. But Great Britain, which included Northern Ireland, did not. Initially, we remained tied to sterling, but when the UK currency rose sharply, the Irish pound split with sterling for the first time 
in 153 years. Early predictions that the Irish punt would trade at a premium to sterling proved hopelessly optimistic. By July 1979, the Irish punt was down to 89p sterling, and by the end of 1990, the Irish punt had slipped under 80p sterling. Nineteen seventy two was the worst year for casualties in the Troubles, with four hundred and seventy nine people killed, including one hundred and thirty British soldiers, and four thousand eight hundred and seventy six people injured. The Northern Ireland Border Poll was a referendum held in Northern Ireland on the eighth of march nineteen seventy three on whether Northern Ireland should remain part of the United Kingdom or join with the Republic of Ireland to form a united Ireland. It was the first time that a major referendum had been held in any region of the United Kingdom. The referendum was boycotted by nationalists and resulted in a conclusive victory for remaining in the UK. On a voter turnout of 58.7%, 98.9% voted to remain in the UK. The Provisional IRA had emerged in December 1969 due to a split with the broader Irish Republican movement. It was initially the minority faction in the split compared to the official IRA, but became the dominant faction by 1972. The Troubles had begun shortly before when a largely Catholic, non-violent civil rights campaign was met with violence from both Ulster loyalists and the Royal Ulster Constabulary, culminating in the August 1969 riots and deployment of British soldiers. The IRA initially focused on defensive Catholic areas, but it began an offensive campaign in 1970 that was aided by weapons purchased with Irish-American sympathizer dollars and supplied by Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. It used guerrilla tactics against the British Army and RUC in both rural and urban areas and carried out a bombing campaign in Northern Ireland and England against military, political and economic targets. The Provisional IRA declared a final ceasefire in July 1997, after which its political wing Sinn Féin was admitted into multi-party peace talks on the future of Northern Ireland. These resulted in the 1998 Good Friday Agreement and in 2005 the IRA formally ended its armed campaign and decommissioned its weapons under the supervision of the Independent International Commission on Decommissioning. Several splinter groups have been formed as a result of splits within the IRA including the Continuity IRA and the Real IRA, both of which are somewhat still active in the dissident Irish Republican campaign. The IRA's armed campaign, primarily in Northern Ireland, but also in England, killed approximately 1,900 people, including roughly 1,000 members of the British security forces, 600 civilians and 300 members of the IRA. After the British government prorogued Stormont, they decided to replace it with a new assembly and executive, and elections were held in June 1973. 
there were a number of new elements to this new system. The members of the Assembly would be elected using proportional representation. The executive members would come from both unionist and nationalist political parties. There would be an Irish dimension in the form of a Council of Ireland that would allow politicians from North and South to meet and discuss issues relevant to both parts of the island. In addition, the British government would keep power over security and justice in Northern Ireland. However, as usual, there were very different reactions to the British government's plan. Unionist politicians were divided by the proposed solution, but nationalist politicians were generally happy with the plans for a power-sharing assembly and executive. Former Prime Minister Brian Faulkner supported the plans and some of his party members agreed with his position. Many unionists, including the rest of Faulkner's party, the DUP, and the new vanguard unionist Progressive Party, set up by William Craig to oppose power sharing, were angry at the plans. These different groups came together to form the United Ulster Unionist Council, UUUC. The plan was to oppose the plans of power sharing and an Irish dimension. Provisions for a Council of Ireland existed in the Government of Ireland Act going back to 1920, but these had never been carried out in practice. Unionists resented the idea of any interference by the Republic of Ireland in Northern Ireland. In 1973, after agreement had been reached on the formation of an executive, agreement was sought to re-establish a Council of Ireland to stimulate cooperation with the Republic of Ireland. Talks were held between the 6th and 9th of December in the Berkshire town of Sunningdale between the British Prime Minister Edward Heath, the Irish Taoiseach Liam Cosgrave and the three pro-agreement parties. The talks agreed on a two-part Council of Ireland. The Council of Ministers was to be composed of seven members from the power-sharing executive and seven members from the Irish government. It was to have executive and harmonising functions and a consultative role. The Consultative Assembly was to be made up of 30 members from Dáil Éireann and 30 members from the Northern Ireland Assembly. It was to have advisory and review functions only. On the 9th of December 1973, a statement announcing the agreement was issued, which later became known as the Sunningdale Agreement. On the 10th of December 1973, the day after the agreement was announced, Loyalist paramilitaries formed the Ulster Army Council, a coalition of Loyalist military groups, including the Ulster Defence Association and the Ulster Volunteer Force, which would oppose the agreement. In March 1974, pro-agreement unionists withdrew their support for the agreement, calling for the Republic of Ireland to remove the Articles 2 and 3 of its constitution first. Articles 2 and 3 made the claim that the whole island formed one national territory as follows. Article 2. The national territory consists of the whole island of Ireland, its islands and the territorial seas. Article 3. Pending the reintegration of the national territory, 
and without prejudice to the right of the Parliament and government established by this Constitution to exercise jurisdiction over the whole territory, the laws enacted by the Parliament shall have the like area and extent of application as the laws of Serstot Ern, the Irish Free State, and the like extraterritorial effect. Right then, the Ulster Workers' Council, a loyalist organisation, called a general strike for the 15th of May. After two weeks of barricades, shortages, rioting and intimidation, Brian Faulkner resigned as chief executive and the Sunningdale Agreement collapsed on the 28th of May 1974. The most crippling aspect of the strike was its effect on electricity supply. The Ballylumford power station generated Belfast's electricity and that of most of Northern Ireland. The workforce was overwhelmingly Protestant and effective control was firmly in the hands of the UWC. John Hume's plan to cut the Northern Ireland electricity grid in two and rely on the power generated by Kulkira power station, where many Catholics worked, to keep Derry and the environs in business while undermining the Unionist strikers in the East was rejected by the British Secretary of State, Merlin Rees, who was appointed Secretary of State for Northern Ireland from March 1974 until September 1976. One month after his appointment as Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Merlin Rees lifted the prescription against the illegal loyalist paramilitary organisation, the Ulster Volunteer Force, or UVF, in an attempt to bring them into the democratic process. However, the organisation was implicated in the Dublin and Monaghan bombings on the 17th of May 1974, and the group was once more banned by the British government on the 3rd of October 1975. Rees's decision to permit the Sunningdale power-sharing arrangements to collapse in Northern Ireland was described as supine by former SDLP leader Seamus Mallon, who also went on to describe the Good Friday Agreement of 1998 as Sunningdale for slow learners. Seamus Mallon, 1936 to 2020, was a Northern Irish politician who served as Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland from 1998 to 2001 and Deputy Leader of the Social Democratic and Labour Party, SDLP, from 1979 to 2001. He was born in the village of Market Hill to Jane, Neil Flaherty and Francis Mallon and was educated at the Abbey Christian Brothers Grammar School in Newry and St. Patrick's Grammar School, Armagh. He became headmaster of St. James Primary School in Market Hill and was also involved in the Gaelic Athletic Association, playing Gaelic football for the Armagh County team. During the 1960s, Seamus Mallon first got involved in civil rights when trying to help a man and his family secure a council house but was told by a local unionist councillor that no Catholic pig or his litter will get a house here as long as I am here. In 1979, he became deputy leader of the SDLP 
He was elected to the first power-sharing assembly in 1973 and to the Northern Ireland Constitutional Convention in 1975, representing Armagh. Between May and December 1982, he was appointed by the Taoiseach Charles Hawhey to the Republic's Shannad Aaron. Seamus Mallon was a strong advocate of non-violent nationalism. He opposed political violence and was elected to the Forum for Peace and Reconciliation in 1994. He was a member of the SDLP team at the all-party negotiations that opened in Belfast in June 1996. The Good Friday Agreement led to the setting up of the Northern Ireland Assembly, which was elected in June 1998 with a power-sharing executive. Mallon was elected as member for Newry and Armagh and in December 1999 became Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland serving alongside Ulster Unionist Party leader David Trimble. Seamus Mallon remained a strong opponent of IRA violence, but was also in favour of police reform in Northern Ireland. He retired in 2001. His autobiography, A Shared Home Place, written with Andy Pollock, was published in 2019. In retirement, Seamus Mallon spent much of his time in County Donegal, his mother's native county. However, he died at his home in Market Hill on the 24th of January 2020, aged 83 years. William David Trimble was the initial First Minister of Northern Ireland from 1998 to 2002 and the leader of the Ulster Unionist Party from 1995 to 2005. David Trimble became involved with the right-wing paramilitary-linked Vanguard Unionist Progressive Party, known as Vanguard, in the early 1970s. He ran unsuccessfully for the party in the 1973 Assembly election for North Down. In 1974, he was a legal advisor to the Ulster Workers' Council during the successful UWC strike against the Sunningdale Agreement. He was elected to the Northern Ireland Constitutional Convention in 1975 as a vanguard member for Belfast South and for a time he served as the party's joint deputy leader along with Glenn Barr of the Ulster Defence Association. The party had been established by Bill Craig to oppose power sharing with Irish nationalists and to prevent closer ties with the Republic of Ireland. However, Trimble was one of those to back Craig when the party split over Craig's proposal to allow voluntary power sharing with the SDLP. He joined the mainstream UUP, Ulster Unionist Party, in 1978 after Vanguard disbanded and was elected one of the four party secretaries. He served as vice chairman of the Lagan Valley Unionist Association from 1983 to 1985 and was named chairman in 1985. He served as chairman of the UUP Legal Committee from 1981 to 1995 and as honorary secretary of the Ulster Unionist Council in 1990 to 1996. In 1998, British Prime Minister Tony Blair announced a new judicial inquiry, the Bloody Sunday Inquiry, into the killing of 13 unarmed civil rights marchers in Derry in 1972. 
During the debate in the House of Commons, David Trimble was one of the few dissenting voices. He said, I am sorry to have to say to you, Prime Minister, that I think that the hope expressed by the Honourable Member for Foyle, John Hume, that this will be part of the healing process, is likely to be misplaced. Opening old wounds like this is likely to do more harm than good. The basic facts of the situation are known and not open to dispute. Reporting in 2010, the Savile Inquiry confirmed that all the 13 killings and 13 woundings were unjustified. After being defeated in the 2005 general election, David Trimble resigned the leadership of the UUP soon afterwards. In June 2006, he accepted a life peerage in the House of Lords, taking the title of Baron Trimble of Lisnagarvi in the county of Antrim. He did not stand again for the Assembly, which finally reconvened in 2007, instead leaving the UUP to join the Conservative Party.
silver and gold Norton South Norton South